Will you join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? Lord, we ask that your spirit continue to be in this place. May it be on us as we now reflect on your word. May our ears be open and our hearts be softened. In your names we pray, amen. One Sunday, a uh, young African-American man had been invited to, to preach the homecoming service for his church. Now, in the African-American tradition, preaching the homecoming service is like the Super Bowl. That's what you want. And so he had about a year worth of seminary, and there are only two kinds of people you never want in front of the pulpit. That is a freshman after their freshman year in college, because they think they know everything, and a first-year seminary student, because they think they know everything. So he had, he had his sermon done. He was going to preach from anything and everything. He was going to let these poor folks know what he knows. Well, it's one of those churches where there's not air conditioning. So they have the windows open. And he had his notes there. And about this time as he gets ready to preach, in comes, I guess you could call it the spirit. But the wind blew and blew his notes everywhere. And so he just stood there. He didn't know what to do. And so for 20 minutes, he just said, ain't he good? 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 And about that time, he heard words you never want to hear in a church. Lord, help him. <laughs> but there was one lady in the church, the mother of the church, who would shout, yeah, he good, baby. You preach that. Go on, baby. You preach. He is good, ain't he good? Oh, yes, Jesus is good. Well, after the church, after the service, he's back there greeting people and everyone's, you know, doing their kindness to say, yeah, that was not too good, but, you know, you're visiting and the chicken's cold and we just, we, we just gonna move on. Well, he waited around and she was making her way out and she sa he said, uh, Mother, let me ask you a question. Now, you know that sermon wasn't very good. All I, all I did was say up there and, and say, ain't he good for 20 minutes. She said, oh, baby, no, no, no. You said ain't he good for 25 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> and she goes, yes, but, but that's all I did was ain't he good. And she goes, well, now, baby, look, just because you didn't do your job doesn't mean I, don't, do, I need, don't need to do my job. In moments like these, when we are throwing a curve bar, bar we still, ball, we still have a job to do, unless you go to a curve bar, but then we need to talk afterwards. <laughs> we still have a job to do. We still gather for worship. We still gather as a community, and we gather to learn and to be shaped. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Uh, Otis Moss III has a phrase that he used <coughs> at last May's uh, Festival of Homiletics. And he said in the speech that the world needs homiletical DJs. Now, homiletics is just the art of preaching. And preaching is basically uh, having something to say and finding a way to say it. But saying it as quickly so people can get out and beat the Methodists for lunch and whatever else. But it's to have something to say and find a way to say it. 
And he said the DJs are the keepers and proclaimers of the sound of the culture. The DJ is versed in several traditions, a, a lover of several traditions, and the DJ breaks the social construction barriers that say these types of music don't go together. The DJ fuses music that isn't supposed to go together, like jazz and rock, blues and opera, folk and rap. The DJ breaks down those barriers by, barriers by finding commonality. And Moss transitions and tells the crowd of pastors and preachers, you are homiletical DJs. And what he argues is that over time, the church becomes irrelevant. And the church has become irrelevant because we have chosen to be an institution instead of being an organic body growing. Everything about church is institution. We structure as an institution. Yet we are relevant in culture because... We are the only ones on a daily basis to utilize the language of love, forgiveness, grace, and redemption. And when we lose that language, we move into obscurity. Now think about it for just a moment. Is there any other place where you get those words spoken to you on a daily basis? Language of forgiveness, redemption, of love, of grace. You know, Oklahoma City is about to enter into a, a mayor race. I now get to vote because I have my okie-dokie license. <laughs> but I bet you there is not going to be one person to have on their slogan this language of love, of grace, of forgiveness, of redemption. I mean, we don't hear that language in the news very often, except at the end of the nightly news when they have those stories that come about, those feel-good stories to make you feel good that the world is at least a better place after they told you all the news about how bad the world is. But the only place that we hear these language, this language is at the church. And yet when we lose that language, we move from being relevant to obscurity. And in truth, you and I, we are the keepers of the sound, the song of the Lord. Paul talks about to be of the same mind as Christ. In fact, he mentions this in some form in almost every single letter he writes. Paul basically repeats himself for most of the New Testament. He just uses different words. And sometimes he uses them in a very long run-on sentence. But he uses them basically on the same thing. The basic thesis of Paul's theology is to be of the same mind as Christ. Well, what does that mean? It means to be keeper of the sound of that song, the songs of forgiveness of grace, redemption, and love. It's a song that, that sees value in each individual, in each person, no matter their skin color, no matter their orientation, no matter their social economic standing. Every person has value. There's an interesting thing that happens in history. 
And one of those most interesting things is that we seek to devalue one another almost in every turn. I remember at OBU, we, we went up to uh, Shawnee yesterday, first time I've been there, I think, or actually on campus and since I graduated, or since she graduated, one of the two. They told me not to come back, so I said, okay. <laughs> they're just like, go, please go. <laughs> but it's the first time we've been on campus in a while. And it, and it brought back memories. And some, some of them good, some of them not so good as experiences often go. But one memory that came back, uh, uh, we, we sort of started to drive to um, a church there that most of the college students would go to. Uh, the church had moved from downtown Shawnee to out to where, well, to put it politely, where people can give more money. And we got halfway there. We saw vans fixed in, so we just stopped. You know, what's better than go look at a church than it's eating. So we chose to eat instead. But this church, we, we would visit, and we never really had a great experience. In my experience, I remember the pastor getting up one Sunday after a certain football game, Stanley, and said, if you are from Texas, you might as well leave right now. Now, he was being silly, but I'm from Texas, and we don't do good with metaphors. So I got up and said, I'll meet you in the parking lot in a little bit. So I'm from Texas. That's what we'll do. So it was just like the devaluing of one from Texas. We seek to devalue each other rather quickly, to place ourselves above another, to place someone else above another. Paul urges us to be of the same mind as Christ. Now, the thing about Jesus is Jesus is a troublemaker. He's not one I really encourage you to follow. And I'm going to let that sit for a minute because what the preacher said, don't follow Jesus? What? Well, here's the thing about following Jesus. You are going to get crucified. At some point, following Christ leads to the cross because that's what Jesus said. If you wish to be like me, you must pick up your cross and follow me. This past week, um, or last weekend, the youth went on a retreat and our first retreat together and they all came back sick, which is a win. It was fantastic. <laughs> but their challenge wasn't to get sick. It was uh, to risk greatness. That was the theme. And we talked about story. Now, the basic element of a story is this. A story is about a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. What that character wants matters. For example, if you want a Volvo and you work really hard to get that Volvo, yeah, is that something you want to brag about? I mean, one, it's a Volvo. It's a safe car. It's not like it's a Mustang GT 1965 or anything like that. I mean, it's a Volvo. Is that worth all that time and money saved up? What does that story say? And so we began to wrestle with, and they were challenged to create a story in which these themes of grace, forgiveness, redemption, love, imitation of Christ shows in their lives. The problem is, and I didn't let them in on this because I wanted them to leave happier than when they came, is when you follow Christ, 
because this language doesn't fit in our culture, it leads to the cross. And if we wish to imitate Christ, then we need to understand the cross is ultimately where we find ourselves, at least for a day. Here's where the story takes a turn. When we imitate Christ, the same spirit that is in Christ is in us. And so though everything we lead up may lead up to a crucifixion Friday, there's a certain day that follows Friday. Do you know what day that is? One more day after Saturday. We're almost there. Yeah, Saturday, and then Sunday. Every Friday is followed by a resurrection Sunday. So this thing that Paul's talking about, this imitating Christ, the imitating of the language of grace, of love, forgiveness, redemption, it finds its way from the cross and into an empty tomb. And the world will do whatever it can to silence it. Go home today and for, for a brief moment, turn on the news. And tell me the language you hear. Tell me the words you hear from our congressmen, from our senators, from our president. Tell, tell me the language you hear. And tell me how many times will you hear the words grace, forgiveness, redemption, and love. You see, they're not the keepers of the sound and the song of the Lord. You and I are. We are the ones tasked to imitate Christ, to be like Christ. You know, one of the things about being great is that you must first be like a child. You see, James and John are having an argument with the other disciples James and John want to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. Now, one particular story, they get their mother to ask Jesus if they can. Because, I mean, Jesus is surely not going to say no to their mother. But the sons of thunder want to sit at Jesus' right and left. And Jesus asks them a very poignant question. Can you drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? Can you be baptized by that which I am baptized? And they proudly say, yes, we can. And both James and John go to their own form of a cross. But this upsets the disciples because they don't like that James and John went to Jesus and decided we want the seats next to you. Even though Jesus tells them, you know, it's not mine to give, that's up to God. But they're upset because these two men wanted to be great in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, and in one version, he calls over a child and he places the child in front of them, among them. And he says, whoever wants to be great in the kingdom of God must be like this child. And children are inquisitive some of them are very humble listeners. Some of them are good listeners. Others, not so much. They are humble. And we are called to humble ourselves before God. 
Paul says, do not put yourself above another. I actually like the language he uses. Uh, do not uh, do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each per person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. And then one version, he says, adopt the attitude of Christ. That attitude of grace, of forgiveness, of love, and redemption. I've gone on long enough, so let me sum up. You may be thinking, that's all nice and all wonderful to talk about and think about, but live in the real world. Yeah, I, I, there are two worlds that we can be a part of. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans that we read today, do not be conform, conformed to this world, but be renewed by the renewing of your mind and the spirits. Conform yourself to God's world. You know, one of the greatest things about the gospel of John is that you gotta purchase two watches through there. Thomas Long says, in order to read the gospel of John, you gotta wear a watch that's set to ordinary time. Like it's uh, 11.27 Sunday, uh, January 28th. Y'all are watching your clock, hoping I will finish soon. And the other set time is set to eternity, eternal time, which Jesus Christ is the same today as he was yesterday and that he will be tomorrow. And in that time, everything that we stress about goes away. In that eternal time, Jesus can walk up to a tomb in which his friend Lazarus has been in for four days, tell them to roll the stone away and tell Lazarus to come out. Because in this eternal time, death has no control. What is in ordinary time does not exist in eternal time. And so we can set our clocks to eternal time. Now, if you go to work tomorrow late because you set your clock to eternal time, let me know, I'll write you a doctor's note. <laughs> if we set our clock to eternal time, we can set our attitude to the same mind of Christ. And we can live not apart from this world, but in this world in a new and different way where the language of love, forgiveness, grace, and redemption exist. William Barber II calls it living above the snake line. He says that um, if you ever get trapped in the mountains, you don't go out in the valley, down through the valley, because there are snakes in the valley. You go over the top of the mountain. You climb out up. Because there's a point, he says, that you call it above the snake line, the part where snakes cannot get to because they asphyxiate. They are cold-blooded creatures, and if they get too high, they cannot breathe. And he says, we must put ourselves above the snake line. Every single day we wake up, we choose to live above the snake line. And it is a choice. Each day we make a choice. We can either live for ourselves or we can live as Christ. 
And each morning when we wake up and we decide we're going to live for ourselves, we put Christ on the cross and Christ is crucified. But when we choose to live as Christ, in the same mind as Christ, Christ comes down from the cross. We crucify ourselves. And Christ's attitude lives within us and through us. And that, my friends, is one heck of a story to live and share. Let us pray. Lord, it is in this time, in this strange culture that we live in, where the language of love and grace and redemption and forgiveness needs to be heard louder than ever before. That people know that they are worth something, that they are valued, that they are loved. And they need someone and somebody's to play that song for them, to remind them of who they are and who they belong to. And sometimes we are those people who need that song to remind us that we belong to somebody, that we, we were created with purpose, with, with, with love and grace and forgiveness and redemption, that there's a place where we can come and render our brokenness to you and made whole. But our challenge is, God, is that we cannot just leave those words here. That we must depart this place carrying with us those words of love, forgiveness, redemption, and grace. And go and share with others about a God who loved them so, who entered in the form of Jesus, who humbled himself so that we too may have a life of love, grace, forgiveness, and redemption. Is your name we pray, amen.